Today's guest is the much-loved John Morgan, Managing Director of Helios Homeopathic Pharmacy in the UK. So this was my first opportunity ever to get to speak with him. But pretty much since I started studying homeopathy many years ago, I had heard his name mentioned with great reverence amongst the homeopathic community. John qualified as a pharmacist in the mid-70s and crossed over into homeopathic pharmacy in 1979 when he became assistant manager of Nelson's Pharmacy in London. As his love of homeopathy grew, he enrolled for a practitioner course at the College of Homeopathy in 1981. And while he was a student, he gave some remedy-making workshops to fellow students who participated in triturating and potentizing several common remedies from their original material. By the time he finished the course, there were about 30 remedies made. And with the encouragement of students and homeopaths to have a new source of original remedies, John set up Helios Pharmacy in 1986, which has been growing slowly ever since, thanks to the resurgence of homeopathy in the world and the development of new remedies and provings. He is working part-time as the managing director of Helios now, but he still practices and lectures. And in his spare time, he walks a lot and enjoys choral singing playing the keyboards in the Helios band called the Solar Flares. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we get to speak with the absolutely lovely John Morgan, the Managing Director of Helios Homeopathic Pharmacy in the UK. Welcome, John. Hello. Thank you, Eugenie, for inviting me. It's, it's a pleasure. Oh, I've been trying for a little while to get you on. You are a very, very busy man. <laughs> and uh, can you maybe kick off the show for us by telling us how you were first introduced to homeopathy? Yeah. Well, I started out in pharmacy. I'm, I'm a trained pharmacist and I really enjoyed doing the course and I really enjoyed learning about drugs and their interaction, pharmacology. And I love the service side of it, helping people on the, on the high street with their medications. But I saw the negative side of what drugs could do, particularly in the 70s when I was a young pharmacist. Uh, so I so, saw quite a bit of drug damage and uh, addiction through just going to the GP and people trapped and their energy quashed really by overdrugging. And that's still the case today, uh, sadly. But of course, the drugs are a bit more refined than they were in those days. And so I was looking for something that was going to help people liberate themselves from disease and, and discomfort and rather than just suppressing the the symptoms and um, and uh, reducing their vitality mm. so at the same time i was quite interested in, in exploring the spiritual world and the subtle anatomy of the human being and what makes us tick and what's it all about alpha as we say <laughs> meaning of life so i was really going through a period of searching and uh, went overland to india and did a lot of traveling and and so, so, all sorts of searching so I thought I'd been in the wrong profession. I thought pharmacy was, was not going to be it for me. Mm. So I was looking around for what to do, but drifted back into it because I needed to earn a living. But um, I carried on looking and reading, and eventually I came to herbalism first because I studied at uni what's called pharmacognosy, which is the study of plant drugs. And in those days, uh, a lot of tinctures that we know, like um Nux vomica and uh, opium and belladonna, they were all used in medicines at that time. And so I did uh, quite a lot on plant drugs and the, the analysis of those. And so I looked at herbalism and I did a herbal course, which was great, but there was something missing there. There was something philosophical I was looking for. So actually, when I started to read about homeopathy, it was more the, the philosophy of it. 
the idea that we've got this vital spirit in us that, that animates us and that is actually the goal of it is to help us live life to the full and actually to to fulfill our, our potential. And then, of course, if you add uh, spiritual dimensions, whether it's soul or spirit or however you look at life, you know, it all fits in very, very well. So it was really, really Hahnemann that really grabbed me, apart from anything. And then, as I said earlier, the desire to work with tools, with remedies, with products that were actually life enhancing, that would stimulate people to live life to the full and not be bound by being on drugs all their life. So I moved into homeopathy by working at another homeopathic pharmacy. There wasn't any training at that time, so I kind of learned off the hoof. And I was I went to Nelson's, which I'm always eternally grateful for the opening into homeopathy. And mm. they said, okay, well, here's 30 remedies, just learn them and then counter-prescribe. As people come in, just do what you can. And so I was very naive and not very experienced, but I had some great results even then, just with 30 remedies, just, just counter-prescribe in the oh, pharmacy wow. there. And then again, as I studied more, and I realized there was more to it than that. There was the constitutional side. There was actually looking at the whole chronic pictures and people's stories. And so the desire to get more involved in that led me to enroll at the College of Homeopathy um, in the early 80s, which has only been going a few years, but had some great teachers. So I was really lucky to have some great teachers at that time. And it was a big college. There was over 100 per year. Oh, wow. And I loved it there. It was great. Really found my tribe. And then some students knew that I knew how to make remedies. So they came to me and said, listen, we've never seen what it's like to make a remedy. Can you show us? So so I had got some equipment and tubes and more some pestles, and we started having some remedy-making circles in just in people's houses and made some remedies up just for the experience of it. Uh, it was great fun. By the time I finished college, we ended up with about 30 remedies. Not really any idea to do anything commercial with them, mm-hmm. but people, when I left college, were asking me whether they could have some because we've been selling them a bit to the students so we could redo them. And, of course, homeopathy was really starting to grow then at that time, around 85, 86, and the whole 80s and 90s, there was a huge growth in homeopathy. And there was a need, certainly in the UK, for another pharmacy. And starting from scratch with original substance was was our byword then, it still is. You know, we still try and get the original material for everything we can do as much as possible. So no radionics Yeah, so just... It's all, all made no, on the mach- uh, no. all made from the original substance. By hand, yeah, yeah. We have wow. we do have a few essences, uh, um, Peter Chapel's essence, and a few other things. But generally, our core business is just traditional handmade remedies. And our strap line used to be "Remedies made for homeopaths by homeopaths for homeopaths." Yeah, and most of our staff who are working with remedies are homeopaths that have their own practice. And yeah, we opened in '86. I needed. I found a place to practice which had a, a shop associated with it so now wife and i we started then we've just been busy ever since been non-stop ever since and we're just wow. so lucky to be in the right place at the right time and from a pharmacist's point of view it's been a hugely successful career because homeopathic pharmacy is still real pharmacy it's still making stuff it's still making creams it's still compounding and yeah. i used to love that when i was training and, and, and also when i first did pharmacy there was still a lot of compounding but that's all gone now and um, it's more a service industry, which is great. And then the counter-prescribing, and then I've always had a part-time practice. We've got clinic rooms above the pharmacy. And just working and living and being in the homeopathic community worldwide has just been such a personal joy for me. Just amazing people, fantastic people, homeopathy is attracted. And, yeah, I still love it. Still do a bit of lecturing and still find myself listening to myself as enthusiastic as I was. <laughs> <laughs> 35 years ago it's great yeah oh, 
That is amazing, hey? And, you know, you talk about those amazing people out there, but actually I've chatted to a few of them and they think you're pretty amazing too. And the consensus amongst homeopaths worldwide is that you're one of the most amazing homeopaths and people out there. And people always say, the ones that I know that have talked to me about you have said how humble you are and just what an amazing person you are. And because you're so humble and I know you're not going to blow your own trumpet, I'm going to do it for you because I just want to let our listeners know that John recently and Helios recently made a really sizable contribution to my podcast because I put a call for help out there to the professional homeopathic community because it costs me so much to pay my editor to do the episodes. I can't edit them myself anymore. So I ended up paying for somebody and it was costing a bomb. And John just very quietly slid in this amazing contribution that's paid for so many episodes to get edited. So I just want to say publicly, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And it's made such a big difference to the show. Oh, thank you, Gina. <laughs> um, well, actually, that, that brings me on to our ethos, actually. Mm. Um, and you, you, you mentioned the Helios logo. Yeah. Um, I mean, that really, for me, was the, the symbol of the ideal of homeopathy. And that's what inspired me then and, and still inspires me, the idea of, of getting to a state of being where we are free from disease on all levels, on the mental, emotional, physical level. And the sun is really a wonderful symbol of that where you've, you've got lights which represents um, an enlightened intellect you've got the warmth of the heart where there's where there's love flowing and you've got the power of the life force so helios was really used as a logo and a name to represent that ideal and to remind us of that i was wondering why the helios and why the sun that is really cool and the helios is yeah. the sun god in greek mythology of course so that's it is, beautiful yeah. yeah but also right from the very beginning i always wanted to, well we always have had a policy of supporting the community in many ways sponsorship and donation and everything it's all be, always been part of our work to always give an amount per year to different causes in homeopathy so it wasn't anything new but i was i was very grateful and the timeliness of it was was perfect because <laughs> uh, mary mentioned you and of course we just <laughs> set up a date for this so there was some <laughs> yeah cosmic serendipity there so yeah absolutely yeah. yeah oh that's amazing now talk to yeah. us a little bit about why you felt it was necessary to use because you use very traditional methods and there's still you know hand succussion i saw your little youtube video as well and you see the homeopaths there hand succussing and i can just imagine how much ruta grav you use amongst your uh homeopaths there <laughs> to help with rsi <laughs> but um why do you feel that's important <laughs> well there isn't really any other, other method that's really been developed. I mean, the pharmacopoeias, which are the kind of recipe books that uh, pharmacists all over the world use, and there's different ones, but basically the methods in it are still the methods of Hahnemann, the trituration, the succussion, etc., separate vial succussion. And so there isn't really another way. The only thing that's been developed in recent years is to take the trituration process a few, few more steps. And some of your listeners might have heard of remedies made from C4, Mm. or C5 that in Germany they developed, where you move, in traditional remedy, you move from the 3C to the 4C from solid to liquid, particularly with the mineral remedies, because you've mm -hmm. done three hours of trituration. But if you do another couple of extra steps, because trituration creates the most powerful potency, then it gives another another dimension, another power to put to the remedy. So that, that has been the only real development. There's no change in the, in the dilution factors. So... Until there's another way, until we can really measure potency mm. and know the best way to do it or a way to do it that's even more effective, we just stick with what we know and mm. we just followed Hahnemann and uh, 
and uh, yeah, it's tried and tested. So I'm sure he's there in that room with you in spirit every time (laughs) you're making those new remedies. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, John, can you talk to us a little bit about potency? Because I remember from my lectures all those years ago, it's one of the most confusing things when you first learn about homeopathy. And you know, one of the questions I get asked the most with my clients and with listeners, and I'm sure half the phone calls you guys probably get when people ask for advice is about potency. You know, what is it? Yeah. What, which one is the best to prescribe when? What's your thoughts on homeopathic potency? Yeah. And, and can you tell our listeners what it is? Okay, well, there's two things about potency. One is the process of the dilution and succussion, which is a one in a hundred serial dilution with these uh, succussions in between. The firm shakes on the on a mm-hmm. firm but elastic object, quote mm-hmm. the organ. We use a leather-bound book. As the dilution continues, obviously the material content does get less and less until it disappears. But mm-hmm. the kinetic energy that goes into the pounding of the succussion actually creates, well, there's several theories, but the one I like the best is nanoparticles, is structures within the alcohol and water mm-hmm. that are created from the pattern of the original material, and they carry on. So the mystery is what those structures are like um, beyond the dilutions. But we know there's, there's something there. In terms of their application, well, the old alchemical adage was physical remedies for physical problems, spiritual remedies for spiritual problems. So the 12C and below are the material potencies where there is some material presence. So they're very good for physically centered problems mm-hmm. for me the choice of potency is where is the center of the case is it, in, is it physical mental emotional spiritual if it's a physically centered problem a physical acute or then the lower potencies are best mm-hmm. now when we get to say 30 and beyond we've got 3200 1m and 10m we don't know what the difference is between those those potencies so we only we work by experience but mm-hmm. the best way is to consider the higher potency is not as stronger, but as deeper. They're, as they're more spiritualized, again, to use the organized phrase, they're going to resonate with the more spiritualized part of the person. Hmm. So if the center of a, of a case is not so physical, is more mental, emotional, for example, then you're going to need a higher potency because you need something to resonate on that deeper level. Because as we go deeper and deeper into the, the human anatomy, into the subtle anatomy, it becomes more spiritualized. So we need the remedy that's been more spiritualized. And there's another dimension, that is intensity. So, for example, if you think of acutes, and most people use 30 or below for acutes in their home, which is great. But as we know, say we get a bump, just an arnica bump, a minor bump isn't really going to affect us mentally and emotionally. But if we have a real, if we have a car accident where we get a big bump, it's going to really affect us mentally and emotionally. So that's why a 200 for example, is a very good potency when an acute situation is affecting the mental and emotional side. Most homeopaths might start off with a 1M or a 10M if they can see clearly the constitution, if they can see very, very clearly what the remedy is. But they're not, and of course, the repetition of high potency is less frequent because when you stimulate a healing process on a deeper level, it takes longer for it to come to ground. Mm. As we know from our philosophy that the vital force is always trying to push things to the surface to, to relieve the very important organs. So if you're touching a healing with a high potency on a deeper level, it's going to take longer to actually use up. Whereas mm-hmm. a lower potency, you'll need to repeat more often because it, it gets used up more quickly. Oh, I'm glad you said that because that's what I always say to my clients. The best way I can describe it is that it takes longer for the body to use it up. That's obviously, you know, yeah. just 
Yeah, the simplest way to explain it. And I loved how you said that, you know, you talked about the kind of nanoparticles, but Bruce Lipton says that it's the hydrogen bonds between the water, water molecules that is able to transmit the signature or the messages from the original substance. I really like that explanation. Yeah. And I really yeah. like Bruce Lipton, hydrogen, so that's why. <laughs> yeah, hydrogen bond is great. And I'm sure that's part of it, but it's less stable. It's more influenced because liquids are always dissolving gases from the air constantly and also temperature and all those things that we know will antidote remedies like sunlight and smells and strong electromagnetic radiations. They will break down those hydrogen bonds. Uh-huh. So um, it kind of fits, but, but the nanoparticle is, is silica based. So for me, it, it makes the remedies more robust than just purely hydrogen bonding, but I'm sure there's two are involved. It's going to be but exciting times it... in the next few decades, I think, with the Homeopathic Research Institute and, you know, people doing more research on the remedies. Yeah. But on the other level, the, you know, there's a magical level, almost a, sh- a shamanic ritual to remedy. And uh, the interview is a really healing process in itself. Um, sometimes I think the remedy is just, just secondary to that. It's a, it's a whole process, isn't it? It really is. It really is. I half jokingly say that I believe that in 50 or 100 years time, we're not actually going to use any homeopathic remedies because everything is just energy. But I think once we realize how powerful we are and that everything is just energy and we can actually just change things with, you know, by changing our own energetic being just by our thoughts, then people are not going to even need homeopathic remedies. You can maybe even just say to the person, you need natmer or something like that. And the energy of that will be enough to heal the person. But I don't think we're there just quite yet to be able to make that leap. But I just have a funny feeling we're going to end there one day. (laughs) But in the meantime, there is certainly all that beauty about harvesting those plants, doing the trituration, the ritual that's involved in that. And I actually heard a story This was probably about 12 years ago or even more. And somebody told me that they, I don't know if they used to work for you or used to be friends with somebody that worked for you, but they said that there's so much thought that you and your team put into making the remedies. And if somebody's making a remedy and they're in a really bad mood or they've just had a breakup or something like that, then you will gently ask that person to not sit in on the making of the remedy because of the or how the energy can affect that remedy. Is that true or not? This was many years ago that I heard this. <laughs> well, certainly what you're thinking, what you're feeling while you make your remedy, I don't know how much it influences it, mm. but um, certainly that's, that side of it I think is important to have a, mm. a, be focused and, to, uh, and have that right intention and for that to be as conscious as possible. Mm. I did read some old texts about homeopaths who, while they made remedies, read the Materia Medica oh, as wow. they're doing it. And in our manufacturing department, when they um, when they do medicate, they do a final step to medicate. The, they, they often do that, the remedy that they're making, just to, to call intention. it in, as it were. But, yeah, I mean, keeping a really good atmosphere in the pharmacy and uh, and working together and having those those values is, is really important. And we've worked quite a lot on that with the staff of uh, affirming the values that we have, integrity and responsibility and compassion, et cetera, et cetera. So that does underpin everything we do. It makes us enjoy work. And I think in the future, companies will be not so much judged on their profitability and all that, how good they are. I mean, we're seeing that within sustainability assessment of companies, but you can run a company based on love and compassion and mutual respect and unity and not have 
a lot of issues and working for healing. So it comes out in everyday work. It really does. You've got a beautiful video on your website where a lot of the staff are interviewed and you get to have like a little feel for what it's like in the office and the people that work there. And I mean, you can't fake what those people are saying because it beams out of them that they are just so happy to work there and they're just so happy to come to work. And, you know, some one of the ladies says she's worked there 13 years and every Monday she just loves coming into work. You know, how wonderful to be able to provide that sort of environment for people as well. Well, some of your listeners probably know sometimes being a homeopath is a bit of a lonely, a lonely world. You're yeah, out there on your own in your practice. And uh, to be working every day with like-minded people around you and uh, several homeopaths in the same place, well, it's great. It's mm-hmm. great. So, John, tell me a little bit about uh, some of the newer remedies and the new provings and things, because I tell you what, with doing this podcast, I am getting exposed to so many weird and wonderful new remedies. And sometimes I feel like I'm like, what am I doing going down this rabbit hole? But tell us about some of the new remedies that are out there and some of the new provings. Well, that's an interesting one. I mean, when I was a student, we had um, Kent and Barica, et cetera. And in Kent's repertories, I think there's about 693 remedies mentioned, mm. which is quite a lot. I mean, mm. some of them with small proving, some of them, you know, I think Hahnemann only had 120. Yeah. So there was always been development of new remedies, particularly um, at the end of the 19th century. Then nothing much happened until really around the eight, 1980. And it was, it was, uh, Jeremy Sure, who really kicked off the proving boom that followed. And uh, we've been lucky enough to work with Jeremy all over the years and, um, and then others. I think as human beings evolve, as diseases evolve, there's definitely a need for new substances to be, to be brought into the Materia Medica. Mm. So there's early provings that we did with Jeremy of, of um, hydrogen. He did scorpion and then diamond and chocolate. Sometimes he would suggest a remedy to me that would raise my eyebrows a little bit, but uh, (laughs) with a really good proving, most substances will bring out a really good picture. Mm. Um, And so we've worked with with those traditional homeopathic provings for many years. We still do it at Misha's College, uh, Manny Norland. Every year the students there at the Welsh School, they do a proving with uh, some substance that they choose. So there's still some Hanumanian provings going on. But also people like Jan Scholten and other people who work with plants and classification of minerals and elements and other things have, have developed Materia Medica through the existing Materia Medica. For example, the Scholten's work with, with the minerals uh, worked out from the data what combinations of cations and anions are different elements of the minerals would create. So it's kind of like a theoretical Materia Medica. They haven't mm. all been anonymously proved, but it's a fantastic resource for information and understanding and the whole periodic table understanding is just one example. Now plants are being looked at in the same way. Their constituents, their taxonomy to create a huge number of new remedies, some of which are very difficult to get. And none of the animal remedies, the bird remedies and the milks, there was at the beginning, there was only lacconinum and lacphilinum. And now there's milk to nearly every animal. Of course, a milk is a, will create a fantastic archetype of the animal mm. within the setup. And then other methods, uh, the, the meditation proving, for example, is, is still popular, but was particularly uh, very popular in, uh, in the 90s. So a lot of it I was involved myself for nine years with meditation group where you spend four hours in, in a very receptive state and you either hold or you take the remedy and you just observe what happens. And 
within a group of maybe a dozen people, you you will find very, very common patterns, which will give you an insight into what the remedy can do. It's kind of a quick method and, and the and the picture is limited. Um but um it's still very valid. So and there's a, there's a few remedies that I use. Um, oak is a good example. That's a wonderful remedy. It's kind of like a it, it has that kind of map muir um suppression within it, but it's 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 linked to if people know the batch flower, the oak picture where they work and work and work and work until they break down, they can't do it anymore, but they just keep going and going and mm-hmm. are in denial about their disease, for example. And then all the crystals, the rose quartz and emerald oh. and things like that have been wonderfully proved. So I think there's been quite a, well, there has been, a, a, I think, too much, too many new remedies. <laughs> now, in, in, the, in the complete repertory now, there is 2,500 or something like that. Uh-huh. And that means they're remedies with something to go on, even if it's a small number. And for students and for homeopaths now, I mean, it's, I think it must undermine their confidence a bit about knowing what to choose. But the saving grace is that although finding the similimum, the principle of the similimum is what makes homeopathy work, it's not black and white. So if there's a, to whatever degree of similimum there is in a remedy that you take, there's going to be some reaction. Mm. And who knows whether the actual holy grail of the remedy is not even something that we have yet. You know, so we're always trying to get the best totality remedy that we can in the moment on whatever level we want to start the case. Um, And certainly the computer remedies have made a a massive contribution to be able to to see and get in contact with those remedies that you wouldn't really come in contact with because you don't know them. We tend to prescribe things we know. Mm -hmm. So those have really expanded as well. So I think looking back over the last 30 years, I think since certainly 2010, there's, there's been more of a consolidation. There's been less provings going on. And I think we need another 20, 30 years of consolidating all these new provings and getting to know them, working with them clinically. Um, so that, uh, yeah, so they'll be more, they'll be more established because a lot of the, there's a lot of proving remedies that haven't made the light of date that aren't used, but have been a wonderful, healing process for students. I mean, doing improving is a wonderful experience for people. It's a very healing experience. Mm. And it really does, you know, if you have any scepticism about whether remedies work, then improving really blow that out of the water. You know, they, it really does give you the subjective evidence that you need. Yeah. yeah. Let's have a quick little break and we're going to come back. I've got a bunch more questions for you. So let's get back to it, John. Speaking of the provings, I just recently bought a whole bunch, I think about 20 or 30 different butterfly remedies from Helios because they are pretty tricky to get hold of. I got some from Scotland a couple of years ago when I first started playing around with them. And then I got a whole bunch more from you guys uh, just recently. And we've got a group of mums here in Perth that was doing a bit of a butterfly proving. And it, yeah, like you say, if you were ever skeptical about homeopathy, take part in approving because we had some really interesting remedies, really interesting symptoms come out. And there were some things that came out because I know we, we haven't got that much information on the butterfly remedies, but quite a few symptoms came out that I haven't found in any of the Materia Medica so far. So that was really interesting for me because I'm very interested in prescribing butterfly remedies. So if I can understand them a bit better, then that's really great. And I had some interesting things happen to myself and I'm like, it doesn't say that in the Materia Medica, but this is definitely not my symptom. This is definitely something from the remedy. And, uh, you know, Han, I would say Hahnemann proved 
120 remedies on himself in his lifetime. And he lived to be 88 years old, which is pretty amazing mm-hmm. for the time that he was living in. So, you know, he's, he did something right. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. You know, you said before when Jeremy asked you about some proving some remedies and you raised a bit of an eyebrow, do you still raise an eyebrow at anything 30 years later? Because it feels like these days nothing can surprise me anymore with homeopathy. So I wonder, do things still surprise you? <laughs> yeah, things definitely still, still, still <laughs> surprise me. There's been some, some energetic remedies from Stonehenge, for example, where uh-huh. the telegmatic remedies or I don't know what you call them when you capturing a, a force from somewhere. Oh my gosh. Um, those are quite challenging. Or the, I, haven't even I love heard the of imponderables. That. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of um, crystal emanations and th- and things like that. And even holy men and holy women who've just ha- in India have held a vial of something and that's oh. been made into a remedy. I haven't heard of that um, either. I yeah, know some so of the butterflies very... are emanations. I know they've done butterfly emanations. Yeah. 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 So I think on one level, I'm completely open. I mean, one of the things about pharmacy is that we're completely, we're, we're neutral. You know, in a way, we all we do is potentize stuff. It's like alchemy. Actually, when I teach students about what is a homeopathic remedy, it's not really something that's been diluted and succussed. It's something, it's the reason it's given that makes it homeopathic. Mm. I mean, Hahnemann worked a lot in his life using crude material but giving it according to the similar principle mm. and the potentization bit came kind of later so the reason the remedy is given makes it homeopathic really i mean you can use potentized material to suppress if you want or you can use it isopathically i mean that's another area which is again that's a, that's a long story but a lot of our remedies we have four thousand substances and a lot of those other things that aren't proved are isopathic Mm. anything people are allergic to in an attempt to desensitize or to relieve their symptoms you know we've we've got them potentized and all those allopathic drugs so it's not really homeopathy it's a partial um, overlap Mm. so potentized material is used in in many many different ways Mm. but it's the principle that makes them homeopathic really yeah. Can you quickly run for our just the general public listening just what isopathy is and what are some examples of isopathy? Yeah, is? I isopathy means, means yeah, isopathy is when you actually give a potentized form of the substance which is causing the symptoms. So the best known example and one of the most common ones is we have a remedy from mixed pollens from many many different flowers, mm. which is a very common hay fever remedy, and people send us samples of different things which is quite amusing sometimes because to make a remedy, you only need a pinch, like mm. a pinch of salt is, is enough. Mm. People send us whole bags full of cat hair and <laughs> things they're allergic to. <laughs> so it's quite well, amusing. Well, it's probably a hypoallergenic cat after they've got rid of all that hair. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's what isopathy is. It's, it's kind of a shortcut really. And from a homeopathic practitioner point of view, it's a very lazy way of working. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like a, as a last resort sometimes. And it has its place. Yeah, I mean, using potentized drugs or, I'll say, vaccines, as they've never been well since, mm-hmm. is a very useful thing. And that's the best way to use isopathy is, is mm-hmm. when somebody's had never been well since. If a disinfectant, for example, at home has caused some reaction for you, then mm. taking that over just five days mm. can just help because basically you're stimulating the, you're, you're conning the system into thinking it's got another dose of what it's already got. So it's, it's the system, the vital principle tries to overcome the remedy and it does. Mm. 
Mm. And then in the wake of that extra effort, it helps to um, to push out the, the poisoning symptoms of what you had. So, mm. But it's fairly, relatively superficial compared to the interview and the totality remedy, which really goes deep to the heart. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I have to admit one of the places where I use isopathy a lot is if I have clients who are not able to come off their pharmaceutical medications. So for example, they've had their thyroid mm. removed and they have to be on thyroxine for the rest of their life. Then giving that potentized drug back to them as they take the drug, I just find they have less side effects and it's a really you know, nice way of using it, I find. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way. Yeah. Um, so John, have you got some interesting stories that you can share to us with us about, you know, from the clinic, you know, you said bags of cat hair, anything else? I'm sure you have some really interesting things that's happened over the years in the pharmacy. Oh, I mean, there's quite a lot of danger involved. There's some, you know, we make explosive remedies, which are quite fun. <laughs> um, I recently had a very bad, uh, injury, uh, by grinding gunpowder, which, uh, went off. <laughs> I was grinding outside and um, <laughs> the sun was shining and I burnt my hand very badly. Thankfully, it's back to normal again. We had to make goldfish remedies in the 90s. This was a pretty new proving. And um, the way, I, I mean, I will say to people, there is some killing involved in homeopathy, particularly the insects mm. and the spiders. You know, we have to basically put them in, in a, an alcohol solution and the, and the bees, things like that. So there is an element of that. But I remember, I'll never forget when I had to make the goldfish and it was a simple little goldfish and we slowly added alcohol to it so it would it would die quite slowly. And I mm. foolishly did it while other people were in the pharmacy Aww. and everybody cried. Everybody was crying and crying, crying way beyond their sensitivity to, you know, the yeah. sacrifice of the goldfish. And then when we did the proving and actually goldfish is a, is a very good end of life remedy. And oh, no it was way. used quite a lot in, in the 90s for helping AIDS patients go over, pass over. Beautiful remedy. It died very, very slowly with the alcohol. So that's just, just one example. That's so interesting. And can I just quickly clarify something? So just for our vegan listeners or anyone who is particularly sensitive to these sorts of things. Yeah. So there was that one goldfish that was sacrificed. And the reality is the remedy that was made from that one goldfish can literally last us forever and make remedies for pretty much everyone on the whole planet, right? Forever and ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, from a small amount of the original material, we could give everybody on the planet a bottle of 12C. Mm, that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> I'm way, sure even a vegan could justify that, surely. <laughs> we are aware that um, the vegans are understandably sensitive, but I, I have to be upfront and say that there are some insects particularly. The higher mammals is not a problem. You know, the snakes, we can milk the venom. We don't have to kill the snake. Mm. The... Uh, Mephites, for example, that's from the skunk and um, the beaver castorium. These come from the anal glands, from secretions, the ambergrisia from the whales. Are there. So we don't have to do really any mm-hmm. anything particularly violent, just the smaller animals. Another fish theme, which again I'll never forget, um, I had a fish breeder who breeds koi carp came to me and said, we've got, we've got diseases on the skin of our fish. We don't know what it is. And somebody told me, can you make a remedy from it, from, from the scales or from the disease? Mm. Again, an, an isopathic approach. So I said, yeah, we can do that. I said, how much do you, said, how much do you need? I said, we only need one fish, one, just send one disease fish. Yeah. So he said, well, there's a couple of different lesions on the skin. So mm. he said, leave it with me. Mm. Anyway, I come into work one day and there's this big kind of 
10-litre container with about 20 fish in it, swimming about. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I've been veggie all my life. And so I run down to the pet shop, buy a tank, buy an oh. airstone, get some food <laughs> to keep these fish going. So we had them in the back of the pharmacy for, for a few weeks. And uh, I made the remedy and we fed it to them as well as sending it to, to the guy. Yeah. And we saw some great results. Slowly, these lesions were healing up over oh, two or three weeks. But I had the problem of what to do with these fish. What can I do them? They're, they're still diseased, so can I want them to be in, in your home? So yeah. I was studying, and no, I was teaching, that's right, a, a local group, and I uh, told this story, and one of the, one of the students stole my, my husband, he's a fish breeder. So um, I rang him up and he had a tank or he had a, it wasn't a tank. It was actually in the ground. It was outside. It was uh -huh. like a, you know, a bit, a big tank there, just empty. And he said, oh, I'll take them and look yeah. after them. And so they ended up in fishy paradise. These oh, fish. really? Oh, so it had a really happy ending, but uh, those are the lengths we go to. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. So, oh, that was so much fun hearing the stories. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. John, if there was one message that you want to leave our listeners with about homeopathy, what would that be? Well, we've been through a lot on the social level. Homeopathy's really had a hard time justifying itself to the scientific community. And we've been through some difficult attacks through scientists and people who have basically find homeopathy implausible and all the, the clinical trials that we did have from the 70s 80s have not been powerful enough to get them accepted so we've been through that now and that that, that did have a, an effect the, the social media and the and the media itself has been very down on homeopathy from around um, 2010 onwards although before that of course it was the opposite Homeopathy was really sexy. Everybody had a homeopath, and in the papers there was well-being articles. So it changed mm. very, very quickly, mm. and um, it did have an impact on the profession on the confidence of people. You know, homeopaths sadly sometimes admitted that that dinner party be a bit ashamed about or a bit mm. timid about saying who they were. Yeah. But the good news is that in a way, thanks to COVID, which has moved things on and changed things a lot, we've got a resurgence happening. And things are growing again and things are moving forward again. And homeopathy is in a very, very strong place in the UK. We're holding it really well. Um, Europe as well, despite these attacks. America has a, a huge grassroots level mm. of homeopathy amongst families and amongst people working from homes, Facebook support, support groups. Mm. So um, we're going to see homeopathy continue and develop. And I hope it's going to find its way back into the mainstream because in all countries whether you have a private system or an nhs like we have in the uk the complementary medicine sector including homeopathy and osteopathy chiropractor herbalism all those um, what used to be called the alternative medicine um, practices that we are all under the radar supporting our national health systems mm. by taking all those patients and looking after them so they don't yeah. get, have to get to their doctor. They're, and the preventative side of it is doing wonders to support those systems. That really hasn't got the recognition Absolutely. it deserves, but it will. It mm. is going to come, particularly as in the UK, our NHS is at breaking point. The government is 
we're trying to get people in Parliament and MPs to look at the complementary medicine sector and say, listen, there's something good here. Mm. You should look at it and use it and engage with it. And mm. So I don't think in my lifetime I'm ever going to find what the secret of potency is, whether it's not a particles or whether it's hydrobonic. But I do hope to see politically mm. homeopathy and all the other complementary med- medicines things become an integrated medicine, yes. which is the buzzword these days within health systems in, in the UK and other countries. So that's that's my dream at the moment. And uh, you would happens. have seen me smile ear to ear when you started saying that because I just I have that same feeling. It just really feels like I keep saying homeopathic revolution, but honestly, it really feels like that is happening right now. Yeah. And I think COVID has been wonderful for homeopathy because, you know, so many, very many different reasons, but I'm seeing homeopaths being busier than they've ever been before. And I know our homeopathic pharmacy over here in Australia, they've been run off their feet and employing more staff and people are demanding homeopathy because they want to take charge of their own health and they want something safe and effective. And um, it gets me really excited. I'm just happy to hear you say it because I was thinking I'm sitting here in my little corner of the world thinking, you know, we're going to create a revolution. But you saying uh, over the other side of the world, it feels the same way. So that makes me very happy. Amazing. And during COVID, during the first lockdown, we were so busy. We had to, we had to close. We had to close the website. We couldn't cope oh, with the wow. demand. It was, I've never known anything like it. It was, oh it was gosh. hard. We, we pulled together and got through it, but um, people were panic buying. We couldn't get vitamin C or anything to do with the immune system, mm. but it was amazing. We threw so it down. So, amazing. Yeah. And people can get hold of you at helios.co.uk. Go and have a list of yeah. uh, look at their amazing remedies they've got there. They've got incredible kits, some great information on there. And watch that little video of all their beautiful staff with their happy, smiley faces. And you'll see John on there as well. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for your time, John. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to share this episode with the world. And um, thank you for the amazing work that you do in, for homeopaths worldwide. Thank you, Jeannie, as well. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I send best wishes to all your listeners for a happy and healthy homeopathic life. Thank you.